0: Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to the Love Yourself Fiercely podcast. Today, I have the best guest, Jade Matthews is here, and she is a body confidence and and fitness coach. But what I love the most about her is that it was her own journey, um, her own health journey, her own confidence journey that really allowed her to build her business around breaking down diet culture, around really learning to love herself and Teaching her clients to do the same as they navigate health and fitness because it's all intertwined. And I cannot wait for you to hear her story and the magic that she has in this world. So, Jade, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Hey, thank you so, so much, first of all, for having me. I'm super grateful to be here and uh, I just, I've been waiting for this day because I've been really looking forward to this podcast. And as you know, we booked it quite far in advance, didn't we? So yes, I've we just did. been looking forward to this one specifically. I was I can't wait to speak.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to hear your story again you know we've <laughs> met before and so I heard a little bit about it and I just love what you stand for and I love what you're doing in this world. so with that being said, let's kick it off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your own self-love journey and how that related to your fitness journey or maybe it was your fitness journey that turned into your self-love journey Tell us a little bit about where it began um, and how you got to where you are today.
1: Okay cool so um well I started well, It's a weird story because I'm like in my mid, well, early to mid thirties now. And I didn't step foot in the gym until I was 27. So my self-love journey started from actually going into fitness. I didn't love myself first. I got into fitness and then learned the hard way through like loving myself, (laughs) through doing all these strenuous exercises to try and like love myself through that. But I started off as a dancer. So I've been dancing since I was like five, six. And then I danced all the way up to about the age of 26, 27. And about eight of those years included competitive dancing as well. But in the world of dancing, there's also a lot of diet culture. There's a lot of like, you need to look like this, or you need to look like that, you need to weigh this, you need to weigh that, you're too heavy, this costume's not going to fit you. And so all of that was just surrounded by my whole life. So I didn't actually know anything else. That's all I kept hearing. And when I was growing up, my mother also really struggled with her confidence and her weight as well. So I always watched my mother diet every single week. She was on a different diet. She, um, you know, I'd, I'd go shopping with her and she'd try on all these different outfits and just start crying in the changing rooms. And I watched all of this. I watched her skip all the meals, you know, it was just not a nice thing to witness. So that subconsciously triggered off my disordered eating and obviously because I was in the dance world anyway I that 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 put them two together and it was a fire it was literally um just kind of like a recipe for disaster so I had a lot of disordered eating throughout my 20s but I didn't I wasn't aware of it I just thought the way I was eating was normal I thought it was normal to do you know hours of dancing and then go home and have a tin of tuna for dinner like I just thought that was completely normal until it started getting worse and then I started looking at like you know, appetite suppressants, um, fat burning pills off the internet, they were becoming a really big thing a couple of years ago. And that was when I was like, okay, I've got to stop doing this now. Like, what am I actually doing? I just feel like an idiot. I just feel like not only that, I just felt so unhealthy. Like I was trying to do all these health, healthy things that I in my warped head in that time I thought was healthy. And yet I had no energy. I had no confidence. I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like the way I felt it was just awful and then at 27 I was like right let's do something about this so I, I hit up the gym even though I had no confidence and that was just where this whole journey started I guess because I, I, I was kind of done with dancing then so I was like mm, let's try something else so I started going into the gym but unfortunately those patterns hadn't been broken yet so I then kind of still wasn't really out of my disordered eating and stuff like that so yeah, it's been a journey since then, but now I can comfortably say like, this is what I absolutely love. And then of course that, that went into like my personal training days and the rest of the history. Cause here I am,
0: <laughs> here you are. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think you highlight a lot of really important pieces that need, let's dive deeper into them. I mean, when we talk about body confidence and body love and self-love there, it, it, you know, we have such a huge movement in those places on social media, which are incredible when they're healthy.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) But so much of it is disordered within its own movement. And another piece that I think is really, really important. And that resonates so deeply with me along my body love journey is that generational pattern, right? That Mm -hmm. subconscious programming that dieting and fat shaming ourselves and uh, skipping meals and uh, constantly talking about weight from our mothers and Mm -hmm. the subconscious patterns that that carried. And I, I, you know, I'm in my mid thirties too. And so our parents are of the same generation where diet culture really exploded. They are from the generation where all of a sudden it was like next level important to be air quotes, skinny.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: that's where, you know, they carried that along the way. And, and a lot of our mothers did that kind of stuff in front of us, which created the generational trauma, right? We are five, six, seven, eight. And the only modeling we have is that we're to skip meals and feel fat and cry and, Mm -hmm. and equate how we look to how worthy we are in this world and the damage that that does for us now as grown adults is really interesting because it's like we have to figure out that that exists within us and then do all of the work the inner work the healing work to decondition that and yeah. and create new habits and um so i love that that's such a huge piece of your of your work now because i had to do that for myself for a long yeah. time and you know as a mother that script is broken in my home but it took a long time to really be okay with my body and not believe there was something wrong with me if I was bloated or if, you know, I carried my pre-pregnancy weight or if I gained weight in a pandemic, right? Like all of these normal human responses to mm-hmm. hormones and stress, I, you know, I'm sure that your business is booming as people navigate how to handle it all. So thank you for sharing that part. I think it's so important for women, particularly of our generation. And I'm sure every generation to hear that the words we speak and the way we treat ourselves really does impact our children and really does Mm -hmm. impact the women around us. And, um, if you wouldn't say that to your eight-year-old, Why are we saying that to ourselves? But Mm -hmm. with that being said, then there's dance culture and those, those things are being said, you know, my daughter's a competitive gymnast and we already know as a family that that will come as she progresses, right? It's such a, it's the same thing. The way your body looks and performs is based on their idea of what makes a good dancer or makes a good gymnast. And so those habits of disordered eating and body self-shaming really towards our body start incredibly young. So with that being said, you know, tell us a little more about when you started to see the shift in yourself. So you started going to the gym and really started to see that those patterns were still in existence for you. When did you really start to feel like you had to do the inner work to, to decondition or, or remove that programming?
1: I think it was after about, I think it was after about three years, honestly, where I was kind of like, I'm still operating from a place of shame. I'm still operating from a place of fear and lack. Yeah. I think it was about three years because I got into, I'm I'm a long distance runner now. So I got into long distance running just randomly. It was a dare. (laughs) That's another story. And then, um, So now I I do that as well, which I absolutely love. But that when I started that, it was from a place of like, oh, I need to do this because if I do this, then I'll be really thin. So Mm -hmm. it kept being a case of when I started training for my first couple of marathons, I was like, I didn't realize I was doing it because I thought I was quote unquote like healed and I had done the work because I had recognized it, which is the first step. But I hadn't actually fully dug deep and done that work. So I was training for these marathons and then not eating enough. And I kept thinking, oh, it's because I'm being healthy, which I think a lot of other people are caught in this trap because I hear it all the time from women. They're always like, oh, but I'm eating healthy. And then when they put it down on paper and I'm like, that's nowhere near what you should be eating. Like that is literally like rabbit food, seriously. Mm -hmm. So I was training for these marathons, eating this rabbit food, wondering why I couldn't perform. And that's when it finally hit me after about... Three to, yeah, three to four years, I'd say. I think it was three years for the realization and then four years to actually take the action because it's one thing realizing there's some work to do and then of course, we hit that procrastination of like, "Mm, but this is uncomfortable because you have to do that deep inner work. You have to like really peel back the layers and be like, right, what is going on here? Like what triggers off this pattern all the time? What is it that keeps making you go back to square one? Like what is it that keeps making you scared to eat or go back to disordered eating? And for me, it was always control. For me, Mm -hmm. it was like a control issue. It wasn't actually down to, oh, I want to be slim it was down to like, I just felt like I needed to be in control of something at all times. And that was the thing. And I just, I didn't even realize it took me like three marathons to realize that and be like, (laughs) right, you're not doing this anymore. You have to, you know, really come from a place of love and acceptance. I think the acceptance is really a big thing as well, because a lot of women don't accept where they are because they, they get to a point where they're like, right, I'm unhappy with myself, and I'm, I'm unhappy with the way I feel, I'm unhappy with the way I look, um, I want to fit into X, Y, Z outfit and I can't, or whatever it is, but then they just sit there and then it's either one, it, they kind of go one way or the other, they don't take any action at all, or they go into full-blown self-sabotage, like signing up to this like really epic, heavy 50-million-day challenge where they're having to eat like a lettuce leaf and, you know, I don't know, climb Mount Everest, like something really, really extreme that you know, they've gone from doing absolutely nothing to absolutely everything. And then when they obviously hit burnout, because that's not normal, they're like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I've got no willpower. I can't stick to anything. I'm not doing this anymore. And then of course it just, the cycle just continues and continues.
0: So in your, where you are now, um, let's talk a little bit about the women who don't eat enough. Cause I think that is a really, I think that's one of the main reasons many women are not seeing success in their health and wellness journey or are continuing the patterns of that subconscious programming. Um, you know, this is my whole journey started on a health and wellness journey and same with you. I started to really uncover a lot of stuff about myself and, Mm -hmm. and, at Throughout that time, my healing happened, and I learned, discovered much more about myself. But a program I had done for a really, really long time, I was like, I don't understand why I'm not getting the results. I'm mm-hmm. following the food plan. I'm fo- I'm doing the work. I'm taking care. I'm doing all the things, and I finally was so frustrated that I I went and seeked out nutritional support, and they were like, you are starving yourself. Mm-hmm. And I had done that for so long and it really frustrated me because it's a really well-known program that so many people push and support and live like that for years. And I'm like, it is so unhealthy. If I just yeah. go into an online system and I put, I'm, I weigh this much, I'm this tall, I'm this age. And it tells me that as a 35 year old woman who is 58, I should be eating 1200 calories a day. That's not enough food when you're exercising moderately to, to a lot, four to five, four to six days a week.
1: Yeah. It's not healthy. Ridiculous.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And so that was when I really started to open my eyes up to diet culture on my own and say, none of this supports me as a human being, my body structure, the way I, my body is built, how my body performs. So I'm not playing that game anymore. And that's when I really learned habits, but let's talk about that, you know, how you determine what women should be eating based on their activity level or their fitness goals.
1: Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I hear this every single day and every single day I get the whole, I get the the message saying I'm doing X, Y, and Z and I'm eating 1200. It's always 1200. Like who gave this magical number out? Right. this ridiculous that, number. I just don't get it because even though we're all women, like, well, I'm presuming we're talking about women here, but even though yeah. we're all women, like why would I have to eat the same as you or the same as your neighbor or your my neighbor? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, we're all so different. Yeah. So it's just unbelievably ridiculous. So I have this conversation almost every single day and then women always say, oh, that's the, that's the number that the calculator gave me because they do it on a BMR calculator. Yeah. But the truth is... BMR is so the thing is, oh, I don't know. It's So it can be, it can be quite complicated, but the bottom line is if you are starving yourself, your body will just like go into like, not resp- like not responsive mode. So it will not be giving you the results. You're actually slowing down your metabolism. You're absolutely wrecking your hormones. And so if you train your body to operate from that level, it will continue to do so. However, you won't be getting those results. Mm -hmm. So you'll feel fine because a lot of the women say, oh, but I'm not hungry. And for some women, they might not be. But also for some women, they're kind of just saying that they're kind of like, "Mm, but I'm not hungry. And it's like, no, but you are. You've got to be hungry because you're working out six times a week. So you've got to be hungry. And also a lot of them say, oh, but I want to build muscle. And it's like, well, you're definitely not going to do that. Yeah, I know. Calories, like 150%, you're not going to build muscle. Because a lot of women, they want to look, you know, this quote unquote toned look as, I prefer to say lean, but anyway, they want this lean look, but they want to starve themselves in the process, which doesn't work. The, The two things are just completely clashing. So in order to actually eat enough for your body, what I personally Global. I personally eat intuitively, but that's just me. I've also gone through years of understanding my eating habits and, you know, when I'm full, when I'm not full, my portion controls. And I understand it's not going to work for everybody. However, if women are tracking, they also still need to understand that portion control comes into it, and also how you feel because people look at their tracking systems, they look at this MyFitnessPal. And they go, oh, I've eaten my calories for the day. So that's it. I'm just going to sit here and not eat for the rest of the day. But the truth is, if your body is saying, I'm hungry, yeah. if you're genuinely hungry, then it, it's needed that you need to eat. That's that's the end of the story. Like mm-hmm. our bodies know what we need more than an app. So while the app is good as a guide, it's not something to be taken into so much consideration to the, to the point where it's ruling our lives. And I think that's where a lot of women go wrong is because they're doing this with tracking and they're letting it take over their lives. Like they're letting it take over their thoughts, their feelings, everything's pushed to the side. And I hear some women even say to me, I had a client once before who was like, Oh, I've got 200 calories left on my, on my, my fitness pal. Shall I go and eat them? And I said to her, how do you feel? And she was like, I'm genuinely not hungry. And I was like, okay, if you look, if you're genuinely not hungry, don't eat it. And I literally had a check-in this morning with a client and she told me what she ate. And she was like, I think I might eat some fruit. What do you think? And I said to her, are you hungry? And she went, yeah, a little bit. I was like, okay, we'll eat the fruit. You know, yeah. it's just, I think this is where people get it wrong. It's kind of, they're not listening to themselves. They're just going, right, let me check my app. And it's like, we didn't have this app a couple of decades ago. So what were what <laughs> so people we doing? Like, did we all starve? Like, no, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. We, we were just eating normally because we were listening to our body signals. So I think- Women need to understand that if you want to track, it's a great guide. It's good for seeing where your habits are. Like for me, I used it to see I'm a cereal snacker, so I needed to I needed to see where I was snacking because it was getting out of hand. Yeah, but that was it. I just put the app away after that. I was like, right, that's it. Thanks for letting me know. I was like, I'll go off my body signals now. But yeah, if you want to use the app as a guide, it's great. But just listen to your body as well because our bodies are telling us every single mm-hmm. minute of every day whether we're hungry, whether we're thirsty. everything, everything you need to know. (laughs) Right.
0: And, you know, it's interesting because you're absolutely right. You know, the premise for those who are listening, who don't understand, don't quite know what intuitive eating means is simply that, you know, we're listening to our body's cues. Are we hungry? If you're hungry, eat, if you're not hungry, but you're emotionally pulled to eat, Mm recognize that if you're, you're like, I don't, I shouldn't be hungry still because I just had a meal. And yeah, my advice for myself is always like, have a glass of water. If I'm still Mm -hmm. hungry, I'm hungry. (laughs) Or is my body saying fuel me in a different way. But when we really learn to listen to our bodies, we'll learn really, really quickly where we're emotionally band-aiding our life. And women do that with food. We just do. We mm-hmm. do that with food. Uh, we do that with alcohol. We band aid our life and try to mask what we're feeling because we have so much shame around our feelings, um, which is a whole other episode, but yeah. <laughs> you know, we have, that's a whole other episode, but so that's the premise b- behind intuitive eating. It's really just listening to your body's cues and knowing is that true hunger or is that me trying to, um, fill a void of a different kind? Um, I forgot where I was going to go from here, but I was going to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's stay here because that's where it we are. It might come up. Yeah, it will come <laughs> it'll up come anyway. back. Yeah, definitely. Um, so so we, you know, we talk about the BMI or the BMR and we talk about, you know, this tw- magic 1200 calories, which is absurd, by the way, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're uh, exercising regularly, it's not healthy. So how do you... How do you guide your clients to know, to understand what foods their body's responding well to what foods their body is, is kind of not responding well to and how they find balance in how much they should eat, because it is different for every single one of us. So if someone's listening to this and saying, well, if 1200 calories is wrong and that's not serving my body, then how do I figure out what is? Because the online calculators are are so skewed. Um, So I would love to hear, you know, how you guide your clients to understand how to even evaluate that and make a plan.
1: What I do, depending on what it is that they're asking for, because in some cases they genuinely want weight loss. And if that's the case, then we together, we work towards creating a deficit, which is which is sustainable, which isn't a kind of quote-unquote diet, because I don't want them to feel like they're restricted. I don't want them to feel like, oh, I dread eating because this food is boring or anything like that. So if it's weight loss, we create an appropriate deficit, which is sustainable, which they're not even going to, like, really notice or anything like that. If they want – they some of them come with ideas. Some of them are already like, well, I'm on the tracking app and I enjoy tracking my food. If that's the case and it's not a chore for them, they can continue – Um, we work together on how active they are, what they do for a living in terms of like, are they sedentary? Are they like sitting on, you know, on their backsides all day, basically, which most of us are doing, let's face it. Um, what kind of training they're doing as well and what their aims are. So it's weight loss, building muscle, again, coming back to the building muscle. If they are doing that, then of course they are going to have to be eating substantial amount of calories to, in order to build that muscle as well. Um, so we work on that together. And we also work on if that person has a history of kind of like emotional eating or any kind of, um, if they've had past disordered eating or eating disorders. I haven't worked with anyone with an eating disorder, but some of them have had disordered eating or like binging or nighttime snacking is a really big one. So a lot of women that I work with, they're like, oh, I'm a snacker or a nighttime snacker in, in, in those senses. So in which case for that, It's not a case of working on just like, oh, I'm going to calculate your calories and there you go. That's more of an emotional issue. That's more of a behavioral issue. So we go into, right, what are your triggers? So one of my clients at the moment has a habit tracker because one of her issues is she would snack aimlessly. And she's like, I don't even know why I do it. I just get up, I go to the kitchen and I'll just get something. And she goes, I have no idea why I just did it. I'm not even hungry. So every time she does that, she's got that habit tracker to be like, right, what time of the day do I usually do it? What triggers it off? Is it some, is it when I read an annoying email or when I'm bored or something along those lines? And then what the feeling is when we've changed that habit? Because of course, if you change it once, that's not enough for your brain to like change that pathway. You're just going to do it again next time there's another trigger. So a lot of, a lot of how I help clients with nutrition is actually behavioral instead of like, oh, let me calculate your calories. Oh, you should be eating 1500. Like that's a bit, you know, anyone can kind of do that. And also it doesn't really solve the deeper issue that just gives a like surface level, like, oh, okay, then that's good to know. Thanks, bye. You know, and then five minutes later, that person's like, oh, I'm back on square one. I don't know what I'm eating. Yeah, I don't know how to solve this issue basically. So it's more habit behavioral changes that I help clients with.
0: Which is the sustainable change, right? Which is the deconditioning um that so many of us have work to do on right it's like we've spent our whole lives body shaming ourselves and believing our our body should look a certain way in order to make us good enough worthy enough lovable all the things fit in the wedding dress fit in the fit in my pre pregnancy jeans like there's mm-hmm. so much shit, to be honest, that we have to unpack around it and where those beliefs came from and how we, you know, what they make us, what we make our body mean about us and how we are really just truly disconnected from our alignment and our truth about our body. I think so many of us there's so much worth tied into it. And, and that could be, you know, generational trauma that could be societal conditioning that could be so much that has played a role in -hmm. our lives, all our lives. um, And how we really address the underlying behavioral and emotional issues, which is where this relates so heavily to self-love because when it is no longer about food and it's more about healing And self-understanding and self-discovery, that's when you get that lasting change because you're no longer addressing your calorie intake, you're addressing your self-worth, you're addressing your low self-esteem, you're addressing your desire to be loved, you're addressing your feelings of unworthiness, and now that's where sustainable change comes in. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You said you determined that your um, root cause was control. Mm -hmm. And how did you navigate through that? Because that's bigger than food, right? That's a bigger issue that a a woman carries, many of us, around. Mm -hmm. If we control one area, we tend to try and control other areas. And if we can't control other areas, we're going to hyper-focus in one. So tell me how that all came to be for you and how you were able to kind of find love for yourself on that
1: journey. Well, I had to find the root cause of like, why control was the issue like why was it specifically control where did it stem from and it for me it stemmed from my upbringing because I had really strict parents growing up I had really like they had really high expectations of me like they I had I was born to immigrant parents so they were very much like no you need like you need to study this and get this job in order to be successful and you know they didn't you know they just wanted the best for me understandably but also at the same time I felt very restricted growing up so because of that, when I became an adult, I suddenly started to restrict, subconsciously restrict everything else in my life and be like, right, well, if I, rest- well, you know, my parents are trying to restrict me from A, B and C. So I'm going to try and restrict, you know, X, Y and Z because that makes me feel com- confident because I didn't have the confidence in myself. And I did a lot of moving careers and changing jobs all the time because I would get bored and then when each new when i when i got bored of that i was like oh let's find something else to focus on so my focus was always quite lost as well because what i wanted to do as a career my parents were like that's not really what we expected from you kind of thing so yeah. because of that i kept going back to that kind of oh, well, it's okay because I've got this that I can control and that makes me feel good for five seconds. And because it makes me feel good, that means I'm more confident. And I kept using that as kind of like this fake confidence because I didn't truly have any in myself and I didn't really feel worthy of anything other than what I had in my life. I didn't feel, I I was like, this is all, this is all you're ever going to have. This is the only job you're ever going to have. You're only ever going to work a nine-five or you're only ever going to work this position in this role. I didn't feel like I could move forward with anything. So I had to work out where it was stemming from. And I had to like go back, like almost like a timeline of my childhood and be like, right, where did this start? What were my parents doing? What was my siblings doing? You know, and for me, it was because I had those, like I felt like I had very controlling parents as well. I hope if they don't listen to this because they'll be like, no, we just cared for you, you know, Yeah. (laughs) because I'm not a parent. So I can't see it from a parent's perspective, but as you're a parent, you might understand it. It's more a case of like, they just kind of love too much. If that makes sense.
0: For sure. And here's the thing. We talk about this often here, you know, the inner child healing, Mm -hmm. it is never, I mean, unless there's clear significant trauma most parents did the best they could with what they knew or what they believed to be the right thing. And with that doesn't necessarily mean that our interpretation of our upbringing supported what we needed as human beings. Right. And that's what you're saying. You knew that they loved you and wanted wanted you to be successful. They wanted you to be stable. Mm -hmm. They wanted you to, you know, not struggle like they did. They, they made the choice as an immigrant family to go where they went to give their kids a better life, to give themselves a better life. And so they did what they believed was best. But you little girl, you was like, I can't breathe. I can't make my own decisions. Yeah, Everything's mapped out for me. And I don't know how to self-manage now that I'm an adult.
1: Yeah. That is literally it. Like you've just hit the nail on the head. I just felt suffocated. And that suffocation actually ran into my late 20s and 30s. Like even Mm -hmm. because when I got married, it was affecting parts of my marriage as well, because My husband's from a very different family to mine, like where mine were quite suffocating. His were very like on the other end of the scale of like, yeah, just do what you want, like whatever, you know, and I used to speak to him and be like, oh, I wish my parents were like a little bit more laid back like yours. And he loves my parents because he's like, I wish my parents were a bit more like yours because, you know, there's this balance of finding that like where we meet in the middle. So it just it just made me realize that I had a lot of unhealed trauma from childhood that I didn't count as trauma before because when we first hear of childhood trauma we think it's something like major that happened but for me it wasn't so much major it was more little things here and there that added up like that kind of smothering of love and that suffocation it sounds amazing on the outside they're like well your parents loved you like why are you complaining and then I felt guilty about it because I was like why should I feel guilty about my parents loving me but again, I just didn't feel like I could really spread my wings and be who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And then when I set up my own business, well, that comes with a whole different that's a different ball game. And then those things are unhearthed once again. And you have to do more healing, like because I didn't feel like I could be myself. I was like, I can't set up this business. I feel like I have to put on this fake persona of like, if I'm like this, people will like me more or yeah. people will accept me more. And I would hide so much about my past and so much about my heritage and everything like that. I just didn't want anyone to know about it in case they were like, "Mm, she's a bit weird. But then business coaches were like, look, if you if you don't show that vulnerability, I still have a bit of a problem with it now. Even with my business coach now, I'm like, I struggle sharing vulnerable stories because I don't like people pandering to me. Mm-hmm. And that again stems from childhood because my parents always pandered. So, yep. you know, everything's got a link to it. So when women go on to these health journeys, they bring a lot of that into their into their daily healthy living. And even those women who some of them have what they think is a healthy lifestyle, but actually they're self-sabotaging.
0: Mm-hmm
1: but in their head, they're like, well, I'm eating, I'm eating a salad. I'm eating an apple. So I'm healthy. You know, they think that, you know, this is ticking all the boxes and I'm fine, but they're not like deep down. They're not, they're just doing what they think is acceptable and what they think other people will look at them and be like, Oh, you're such an inspiration. Cause you're eating a salad. And it's like, it's not for other people. It's for you. It should be anyway. It should be for yeah. you.
0: Absolutely. And you know, I, I so I just want to, let's just, we're going to talk about this fear of being seen because it is coming up so much in my world It's coming up for myself. As I navigate next levels, it's coming up for my clients and it's coming up for you. And, you know, I think this really goes back to the core issue that we're talking about, which is that self-confidence, self-love and self-worth and the inner child healing, right? We have to do so much healing around understanding that our perception of the world and our experiences on this planet often reiterated to us that it's not safe to be seen as who we are yeah it's not safe to be who we are you know i was the loud boisterous kid all the time and it was like you're too much you're too loud all my report cards kelly has great leadership skills However, she never sits still. She never stops talking. She doesn't Mm -hmm. live up to her potential all my life. And my daughter is very loud. And now, as a parent, I'm like, it takes very conscious effort not to diminish that brightness in her by saying, babe, one octave. Let's come down one octave. I'm so excited. You're (laughs) excited. But let's have a conversation, right? I love how excited you are. But Our parents didn't do that. Our school systems don't do that. Our corporate worlds don't do that. There's so much unraveling that has to occur so that we feel safe to truly be seen as who we are. Yeah. And another piece is we've also learned to to mask who we are and mold who Mm -hmm. we are in different areas of our life to fit in. To be just right, to be what other people expect of us. And so the thought of like really opening who we truly are, our authentic selves up to the world, particularly in entrepreneurship, it's like, everyone's going to hate me. Everyone's going to judge me. What if they talk shit about me? What, what if aunt Barbara sees this? What are the kids from high school going to think we have all these, like people are going to judge me. Mm
1: -hmm. It's not
0: safe to be seen. And the truth is, the truth is that is actually the complete opposite of the truth. Aunt Barbara might have something to say, and the girls from high school might say something, but chances are, if they're the kind of women who are still talking smack, they're doing it anyways. Yeah. But the, what happens is when we allow ourselves to fully be seen in our greatness and fully stand in our authentic truths, is we make space for other incredible women who support that, who rise with you, who, in, mm-hmm. who are inspired by it, who are, you know, mesmerized by your strength of sharing your truth, they come in. Yes. And then we learn that it's safe to be seen. And the more we learn that it's safe to be seen and safe to be held in our truth, the less unsafe we feel. But yes. this is such a common thing that occurs particularly, I would like to say with entrepreneurs, because so much of ourselves is like paraded on the internet, right? Yeah. So our, <laughs> we are the faces of our business. And so there's a lot of, you know, fear around that. And then if you have an online presence, then you're constantly looking at other coaches who are successful before you and, and being like, but she does it this way, but he does it that way. Does that mean I have to do it that way?
1: Yep. Yeah. And
0: so, you know, I think it's really important that we highlight that the fear of being seen is so real for women, so real in their body confidence journey, in their self-love journey, in their ability to be fully authentic in their relationships, in their ability to be fully authentic in their businesses with one another. This is clearly something I'm passionate about because I yeah. feel like so many of us hide from ourselves. Um, and we're afraid that our partners won't love us if they see us at our core, we're afraid people won't buy from us if they see us in our quote unquote weakness, AKA vulnerability, AKA sharing our story, AKA, you know, owning the parts of us that still have work to do or owning our healing journey and what that looked like. But I have, you know, always, um, one of my, biggest values in my business is that I always told the truth. Right. I always shared my truth um, because my life wasn't easy. Just, you know, every single one of us has been through stuff. And here I am six and a half years later. And, and still to this day, I get so many messages, you know, every time you tell, every time I tell my story, people are like, God, I'm just, I thank you for being you. Yeah. Thank you for inspiring me to to, to be feel safe to be seen. And that's why I share this with you and our listeners, because I promise you, the more you flex that muscle, the more you share your experience and what you've learned from it and how it supports your next level, the more you do that, the more, the, the more business you're going to get, first of all, because we're it's talking true. about business, but mm-hmm. also the more you're going to give other women permission to feel safe to be seen.
1: A hundred percent. Uh, like five million percent basically if that's even mm-hmm. a thing that is so true about you know you're giving other women a voice because before I used to not want to share my story in case people were like oh sob story time oh, rolling their eyes that's what I kept hearing in my head like mm-hmm. someone rolling their eyes or stuff like that that was my assumption but actually when I did start like sell- like giving little bits here and there people are like oh my god like really oh my god i'm so sorry you went through that or thank you for sharing Or like oh my god and or if it's something um polarizing especially because mm. i have a lot because my my usual way is quite quick and quite to the point and quite it can be quite aggressive i'll be I'll, I'll admit so i was always scared of doing this and my coaches were like no you have to be polarizing because you know you 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 have to show people your opinions as well because people are just if you're going to be this kind of person who just agrees with everything and lets everything go people are going to just forget about you you're going to be in the background somewhere and it's Mm -hmm. true but also I always call out a lot of diet culture bs and at first I used to just do it like oh can we stop doing this and can we stop now I'm just like oh do you know what this is absolute rubbish and I just lay into like whatever article it is that I found on the internet or whatever it is that I'm moaning about and other and when people started saying, "Oh, do you know what?" Just when I thought I couldn't love you anymore, here I am loving you more. And I'm like, yeah, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> because because we are given this beautiful opportunity to to say the shit that people are afraid to say, right? Like we that get people the- are just thinking. <laughs> yeah, they're thinking it but they're afraid to say it. You know, they look at us like we're the experts in our field and so when we say it, it gives them permission to take a big deep breath and say that really didn't feel good for me either. That wasn't in alignment with who I am either. Even though those seven women are doing that diet and getting success, it didn't feel good for me and you said that it's not right and now I feel seen. It's yeah. it, you know, and this this translates to friendships, the ability to, to, you know, be open and honest in our communication and within our friends, this goes into, you know, our romantic relationships, being able to be open and honest about our our beliefs and our values and and what we desire when we are not, when we, when we aren't able to say those things, because we're so riddled with fear of not being enough. Mm -hmm. How deep are your relationships? how authentic are your relationships? How authentic is your business? How authentic are you? Mm -hmm. Right. Because one of the things that I learned on along my way is I wasn't authentic for the first 27, 28 years of my life. Yeah. Because I had no idea who I was. I didn't know what I was passionate about. I didn't know what mattered to me. All I knew is that I tried doing it that way. And then that relationship broke down and I tried doing it that way. And then that friend broke down. And because I wasn't me when I finally Mm -hmm. figured out who I was and was able to stand in that, that's when my life radically changed. And that's when my self-love really became a way of life and really deepened. And ironically, that is also when my health and wellness journey really took a turn for the better, you know, I knew who I was and I knew what I desired and I knew what my body desired and I knew what I craved and I knew I understood myself so deeply that not only did my internal world change, but my external world changed as well, which, you know, I think really is the message of this conversation. And that's been your experience too. And I'm sure the experience of your clients in terms of that internal change first.
1: Yeah, for sure. It is always the internal change that has to come first. You can go any other way about it that you want, because a lot of people try and take shortcuts, which I understand because not everybody wants to face the music or they're not ready to, but it is the inner work. And then it shows on the outside. But you also mentioned something earlier on about being seen and afraid of, women are afraid of being seen in a certain way. I see this a lot actually on women's weight loss and body transformation journeys as well there a lot of people self-sabotage because they're scared of what like their partners are going to say their friends their work colleagues and I think deep down it's not a fear of failure it's a fear of success and I've actually Mm. got a client at the moment who had this conversation with me on our onboarding call and she actually we digged a little deeper and she went to be honest she goes I think I'm more scared of success and she like figured it out for herself she was like I'm scared of getting further along the line and, you know, maybe my partner leaving me or, you know, how am I going to feel? Because a lot of women are scared of actually feeling that confident or being that confident, because if they get to that transformation that they're looking for, whatever it is that they're working on, when they get there, they're going to be so confident. They're going to wear clothes they might not have ever thought they were wearing before. They might even like resign from their work because they're like, oh, do you know what? I want to do something that I want to do now. and. they're suddenly like, oh, do you know what? I suddenly might lose people around me, but not in a bad way, but in a kind of, you've just outgrown that situation way. Mm -hmm. And that is another reason why so many women are caught in certain like weight loss cycles. Like they lose and gain the same 10 pounds because that's the ceiling that they've put on themselves. They're like, I don't really want to go any further than this. You know, if I do, I might piss a few people off and they're scared of that. When actually it's not about the other person. If you lose like- you know, over 10 kg or whatever, and you're hot AF and you're wearing all these clothes that you want to wear and that you look sexy in them and people are annoyed at that, then that's their problem. And a lot of women deep down, they are scared of that. They're scared of people losing, like losing people or people not liking their confidence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that you brought that up. I love that you shared that it, you know, there's something to be said, I always teach this concept in my signature course, love yourself fiercely about mm-hmm. the people that don't come along the journey with us. Right. Yeah. And I teach it in terms of the self-love journey, but it is the same fear that you're speaking of in that, in the health and wellness journey. You know, a lot of us have created unhealthy eating habits with our partners, or mm-hmm. a lot of us have friend groups that support our unhealthy
1: Yes. Ways of
0: living. And so when we make different decisions, now this is, you know, let's insert this into whatever part of your journey, mindset, health, and wellness, whatever. When we make decisions to grow and change and shift, there's so much fear. Yes. That people won't like us anymore. Right. They won't accept our change, or we won't fit in there anymore, or they won't support us on our on our path. And you know, sometimes when people aren't ready to come along for the ride, we have to leave them behind. They're not ready to come with us. And that's a really painful experience when your friends, you know, you, you feel like they're not serving where you're at in life anymore, or your, your partner is not really supportive of what you're trying to do. And so there's now a disconnect between you and your partner as you evolve on your path that you strongly desire for yourself. But I always teach that like every time we take a step towards the life that we want, we leave a pebble, right. And we're creating a path because those who might not be coming now doesn't mean they're not ever coming. It means they're not ready, and. We can't stop growing as human beings because other people don't want to grow. We can't chase our desires to live a healthy and fulfilled life because others don't want that or are afraid of that. And that same principle. So people struggle with this. So I always say like some babies walk at 10 months or 11 months averages at 12 months. My son didn't walk until he was 16 months. Should I be, should I have been judging him? Should I have been saying to him, get it together, kid. You're yeah. not like everybody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're missing the mark here. We would never do that as parents, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. People evolve at their own time. And my son walked at 16 months and it took him six months to catch up to his peers, but he is totally where he should be now. But my point is it's the same for the self-love evolution. It's the same for the health and wellness evolution. We leave the path. We leave the pebbles every time we take a step towards a life that we desire. And maybe six months from now, that friend who really gave you a hard time about changing your habits and not going out for late night drinks and not wanting to, you know, be in environments that triggered your disordered eating because you were on a different path. She gave you a hard time six months ago, but she sees how happy you are six months later maybe yeah. you forged the path for her to join you exactly. same with self love same with mindset right so it was a, when i came up with that analogy it resonated so deeply because it translates in so many different ways and it i think it helps us women bless and release those who aren't yet ready to join us without making it mean something about us
1: yeah exactly it is so so true and these patterns aren't always easy to spot because they're done very they're not they're just they're just not easy to spot because we're usually in a habit we're in this mindset of like oh no they're just my friends and they care for me when actually they kind of don't but the biggest story I hear from women who come to me is oh my my partner always promises like joint workouts or I work out with my partner and you know he does this so I follow him doing that and it's like no it's not gonna work because he's a completely different person and you have different goals. And while I understand it's great that you both go to the gym together, you shouldn't kind of be in the exact same food. And yeah, it's just and some people's boyfriends. Well, I say boyfriend because these are the s- specific ones that I've spoken about. Um, they're like, oh, you know, he's he keeps he keeps sabotaging like my results. Like he'll say he's going to come with me and then he won't, or he'll keep bringing snacks home, or he'll keep asking for a takeaway. So it's kind of like sometimes the other person doesn't like the fact that you're changing yeah. your habits or you're trying to. So they'll keep be, they'll keep tempting you with certain stuff. And I remember being in, uh, I used to work in corporate for like ten years, and this is when I had I was at the height of my disordered eating, and everybody knew that I was always dieting and always like eating these tuna salads thinking I was doing something really amazing so they'd always bring like donuts in and croissants and during Easter they'd bring in like leave all these chocolates everywhere and they just knew it was like winding me up because I didn't know how to I didn't know how to take my emotions away away from that so for me I was kind of like one minute I was eating a tuna salad and the next minute I was like knee deep in Easter eggs
0: yeah because
1: (laughs) I couldn't I couldn't find the balance between the two. It was one or the other. It was either tuna salads or you're eating all your feelings.
0: <laughs> right, Eat your feelings. I, yes. oh my
1: gosh. Um, I've eaten my feelings all my
0: life except I've come so far that now I get to say today I'm going to eat my feelings a little bit and tomorrow we're going to move back
1: to yeah. what's oh good my for God. me. I do exactly the same. I say to my husband all the time, like if I've had a a rubbish day at work, I will just be like, I just go downstairs and be like, right, I'm going to go to the shops. I'm going to buy a bag of sweets. I was like, because today I'm eating my anger. Yeah. And, but I'm aware of it and I own it. And I'm like, tomorrow is a different day. I'm not going to take it into tomorrow, but just in this moment, I just want to eat an entire bag of Haribo. (laughs) Yeah. Well
0: that I, I do too. And you know, it's kind of like the running joke in our house because I have come so far as to be able to say, this has been a really hard season today. I really need to eat my feelings and tomorrow is a fresh start and there's no shame attached to it anymore. Um, And it's not something I do all the time. It's something I do when something really triggering happens and I'm quite upset and uh, I need to process and, and the old me and the old disordered eating would process forever. I would just eat and eat and eat forever mm-hmm. until I started the shame cycle again. And this has been something that I've really, that's really helped me. I love that you do that too. Cause sometimes I'm like, other people have to do this, right? Yeah, I know. Uh,
1: like I sometimes I struggle to share this on social media. Cause I don't want people to think like, oh my God, is she still like that? She's like a personal trainer. She shouldn't be eating like that. Cause have, people have this image that personal trainers go around eating carrot sticks and yeah, you know, And some some people say like sometimes my sister in law says to me like she'll be eating a burger and be like oh don't judge me and I'll be like no I eat burgers as well like what are you talking about
0: yeah yeah (laughs) you know eat
1: food yeah Um, we eat normally like we're normal people
0: (laughs) that's correct um ah I've loved this we could talk forever but oh definitely I I want to honor your time and so if. If I were to give you the floor and you had, you know, one or two gold nuggets to share with the audience, what would you tell them as they navigate a health and wellness journey?
1: Um, Make sure you're coming from a place of acceptance, first of all, even if you're somewhere you don't want to be, wherever you are in your journey, you have to accept where you are. Otherwise, the next step is just going to be either impossible or just a, a brick wall, basically. So Appreciate where you are, honour where you are and just learn to enjoy where you're going, because if you're not enjoying where you're going or the journey or what you're going to learn, then that is when you're going to keep going back to your old habits, back to your old ways. And then, of course, the shame cycle will just keep continuing. So the best thing that I would say is just accept where you are, really. And even if it's difficult, like allow yourself to get those difficult truths to yourself. You don't have to share them with anyone else. If you want to journal it by yourself, if you just want to think about it to yourself, that's absolutely fine. If you want to talk it through with a trusted person, that's absolutely fine as well. But just make sure it's not, you're not shaming yourself into doing something like, oh, I've I've done this. So I, you know, as punishment, I'm going to do this. It never works. It will never, ever work. And if anything, it will just make things 10 times worse anyway. So accept where you are and just take the action to move forward, but make sure you're taking the action. Otherwise you're just going to find yourself, not trusting yourself. You're not going to have the confidence. And then of course, the cycle will continue.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jade, thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you were here. If my people want to connect with you and I know that they will, where can, where's your favorite place to hang out and where can they find you?
1: Well, I hang out in the Facebook party. (laughs) So I'm always (laughs) on Facebook. (laughs) And I'm also on LinkedIn and on Instagram, but mainly on Facebook. Awesome. So we'll make sure that, by the way, (laughs) Yeah,
0: I was going to say, we'll make sure all of those are linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure and I can't wait for us to stay connected in each other's worlds.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful to be here.
0: (laughs) You're very welcome. And to our listeners, I hope you love yourself fiercely and fully today and every day. See you on the next episode.